Welcome to Unframed, the podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pakroy. Welcome to episode 25 of Unframed. On today's show, I chat with Mbato Grace Mukalapa about her artistic practice. This is the third episode in a series on Unframed called Artists in Isolation, which profiles South African artists during the lockdown period of the COVID-19 pandemic. We are living through unprecedented times, where we are needing to find ways of connecting with each other and the broader arts community, of being inspired and of creating more platforms for artists. Mbato Grace Mokalapa, born in Soweto in 1992, is a Johannesburg-based visual artist. She obtained a BA Fine Arts degree in 2015 from the University of the Witwatersrand. After graduating, she became a recipient of a studio bursary at Assemblage Studios, funded by the African Arts Trust. Since that time, she has been practicing as a full-time artist and currently has a studio at August House in Johannesburg. Working in drawing, painting, sculpture, sound, and video, her art practice is focused on the subjective, sublime experience of physical space, spatial voids, and how we engage with the idea of empty or otherworldly spaces. Enjoy listening to my conversation with Grace. Hi, Grace. Uh, welcome to Unframed. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Hi, Anthea. Grace, how are you doing during this lockdown and isolation period? Yeah, it's different, hey? <laughs> it's definitely different. I mean, I seem to be coping fairly well surprisingly and I think the reason as to why is because I have deadlines <laughs> deadlines make you push towards making sure that things get done yeah because honestly if I didn't have any deadlines I probably would be a marshmallow by now <laughs> it is a bit of a challenge especially because you know when you're in your studio you you know where your materials are and you pretty much have everything with you and you're conversing with other artists and you're sharing ideas so obviously there's always a benefit of being around other artists and being in your you know your studio where you have all your materials so the challenge that i'm finding at home is one i don't have all my materials with me or let me rather say when i have a new idea at least i have some of those materials in my studio whereas now if i have a new idea i kind of have to wait yeah. <laughs> wait it out until after the lockdown so that i can use those materials that i've left behind <laughs> to now start to create new work so that's one of the challenges and also just socially it's also a bit uh, draining because you know when you're creating something and you're not sure about how you feel about what you're creating. And especially if you're an artist that you're used to having other artists, at least in the building, you don't necessarily, you almost feel like there's a, almost like you're on an island. You can't really, it's not as easy to just go up to someone and say, hey, I'm struggling on a painting. Can you just look at it for me? You know, now it's a whole process. You have to invite people to Zoom or you have to go on your WhatsApp and record a video. So it's, there's definitely, it's, it's, it is isolated. And in that sense, it is kind of challenging, but there are a lot of benefits as well. I think for me, mentally, I my brain is able to focus and my thoughts are a lot more clearer. 
Oh, wow. You know, I'm not. Yeah. So I'm relieved at that also. And I think that's probably why I'm able to still work and uh, make sure I finish or meet a deadline. Because for me, you know, having a clear mind when you're creating a new body of work or at least a new series of paintings or drawings, that's in as much as important as, you know, being around other artists. For me, that's a huge uh, benefit. It's interesting that you talk about kind of this need to be around artists because that's definitely something I see clearly with you. You know, I, I met you originally when you got a studio bursary at the Assemblage Studio through the African Arts Trust. And and basically since then, what, what year was that? I think that was 2015 when I got the bursary. Yeah. yeah. So basically twenty since 2015, you've been in a whole lot of studio centers, you know, since Assemblage closed. You moved to Transvac and now in August House. So it's very clear that you are this person that requires community. And I wanted to ask you if you can describe a little bit more about your artistic journey and how did you get to where you are at this point? Okay, sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I started uh, my... I guess you can say I, I graduated in 2015, in about April. So I got the studio bursary the same year. I think it was August or November, so between the, actually September, if I'm not mistaken. And then since I've just been creating work um, as a independent uh, emerging artist, and I've been doing group shows. I did my solo show in, my first solo show in 2018 as part of uh, one of Assemblage's, um, you know, independent uh, exhibitions. So I was able to do that. I was uh, fortunate enough to be chosen for that. And then, um, and that was under the, the funding of the African Arts Trust. And obviously still at that point, I still had my, my own studio because I mean, I had managed to have a studio person. So I, I saw the importance of having my own studio. And then in 2018, I moved to August House and been around a lot of other artists and did more group shows. And uh, last year, was able to do a solo booth at Latitudes Art Fair um, with Suburbia Gallery. And now I am basically back at August House, just continuing to do produce work for the Turbine Art Fair, as well as the Latitudes Art Fair and a lot of group shows in between. <laughs> so you have a very busy year ahead. Yes. <laughs> Hope, hopefully everything happens as we are yeah. expecting it to happen. Um, things are very uncertain right now so I hope that everything is still in place for you it's definitely challenging tell me a little bit more about the different studios you've been at and what's been different about them uh, what are the benefits of each okay so first I started at Assemblage and the best things I loved about Assemblage and actually why I really miss being around those artists is you have a deep sense of community and I mean a lot of those artists had been working around one another for a number of years and we'd seen each other's careers grow and flourish and we were all able to support one another you know despite whatever differences we may or may have not had we were all able to see each other's growth so i definitely miss that yeah really really miss that 
I think one of the things that maybe weren't so uh, the disadvantages of being in a space like assemblage, which honestly isn't much for me, was just the fact that I'm very talkative. So I hardly got a lot of work done. <laughs> and that was pretty much it, actually. And then at uh, Transverk, Transverk was very different. I mean, I was there for less than a year. It wasn't even a full year. I had agreed to actually stay for, I think it was two years. But I ended up leaving beforehand. And one of the, the biggest challenges that I found was that it was very isolated, which in my mind, I thought that's what I actually need having come out of assemblage. But I realized that too much isolation is not is not healthy Yeah. also. And so I needed to, you know, just at least from time to time, I, I knew that I needed to have my own space, like just to separate myself from other people and be able to work and concentrate. But I also need to have that interaction from time to time. And yeah. with a space like Transvac, I mean, all the studio studios are pretty much, the layout is set out in such a way that you don't really have communal spaces. I mean, you have a courtyard, but no one really goes into the courtyard because they don't, there's no necessary need to go into the courtyard. And so you hardly see other artists. And when you do see them, it's like, wow, it's a breath of fresh air. And most of the time they're busy and you're busy anyway. So you don't even get the chance to interact. So that was something for me that was a huge, I guess you can say, uh, an issue for me. And not only that, it, it was in a place that there's not a lot of foot traffic, which also really actually was the one of the main reasons as to why I decided to move. It was situated in a space where you wouldn't have a lot of people just popping by to see what was there or people wouldn't really, they didn't really know about transfer. You know, you had to like explain to them, oh, this is where Vance is, you know, for them to actually Google and go find it. So it was quite out of the way and there's not a lot of foot traffic going on there. So I saw a drop in my sales. And so that was like one of the reasons why I knew, okay, me being here is not, it's not going to be for two years. I have to leave now. But the benefits, I guess, was I was able to, you know, get into my flow. Once I was able to get into it, I was able to stay in there for quite some, quite a number of time because you're so isolated, you know, um, and that was a, a huge relief. Um, and at August House, uh, it's kind of it just it's kind of the same vibe as Assemblage. The difference is that there's a lot more artists, <laughs> like a whole lot more. Yeah. And it's the same kind of feeling. There is a sense of community. There is a sense of, you know, you're not alone in this. You, there's other artists that are in the same situation or with a situation in their personal life or within their actual professional life. We're all kind of more or less in the same boat so we can relate and support one another. And again, I found myself in the same situation where I'm very talkative. If I see someone I haven't seen in a long time, I'm going to chit chat for about 30 minutes <laughs> before I realize, oh, I got work to do. <laughs> so I guess that's also the downfalls of being around a lot of artists. But for me, I, I'm definitely seeing a huge, I guess you can say like growth within myself because I am able to say, okay, I'm talking too long. I'm doing too much of other things. I need to focus and I just need to paint. I just need to get into my flow and just concentrate and get into it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. Yeah, but that, but yeah. that relationship building seems to be really important, mm. not only for you, mm. but for other artists. I mean, the fact that you're able to now 
set up a Zoom conversation with that person that you talk to for 30 minutes every day is part of this mm. practice that you are engendering, mm. you know. August House seems to be quite buzzing, like with audiences. I mean, it seems like there are a lot of where they have their open days that there are a lot of people that come through the doors, which is it's quite unusual. I mean, it's something that we never really managed to kind of get right at Assemblage and maybe at other studios as well. But August House seems to be doing their open days quite successfully. And so how have you found that? Yeah, I've definitely made a lot of sales during the open studio events. And not only that, the, the, the networks as well. When we have open studios, and in fact, not only just the open studios, I think also because people know of August House and because August House has been around for so long because they know, oh, that artist is there, oh, that artist was there years ago. And so they have built up, a, I guess you can say like a history, you know, and people obviously attach themselves to that history and want to get involved in some way or another. I mean, I didn't even need to have open studios at times to just meet a curator or a collector from um, either Cape Town or overseas. They, they just pop by because they know of August House. So it's been a huge benefit for me in, in the sense of both sales as well as networking opportunities. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, it's like a, a legacy. Okay, so I'd, I'd like to talk about your artistic practice. Can you just give us like an introduction about your artistic practice? You did mention a little bit the mediums you use. Um, maybe you can just tell us a little bit more theoretically what kind of frameworks you're looking at. What is your subject matter? So basically, my work is about what it means to experience the void. So what it means to actually experience the abyss or uh the empty space or any a space that is that is not physical but it's completely empty completely dark and what it actually means for the human subject to experience a space like that and what that does to your um your consciousness of space as well as yourself and what that actually does to the psyche so what it does to your mind and the reason i'm i'm interested in this because for me as a student i was always fascinated with uh astronomy and i was always fascinated with deep space but not only that i was interested in architecture and how architecture plays a role with regards to how we actually interact with spaces and how we view ourselves within them and so you know an arch architectural space as well as a space that is completely devoid of everything there's definitely a, a link there and what that actually does to the human subject. So that's basically what my art practice is about. There is a bit of philosophy in there, but it's, it's also psychology, architecture <laughs> and astronomy. Um, those are like my, my interests. And that actually is like, I guess you can say the, the key points that actually drive my work and drive my research as well. Mm. Yeah, you you just spoke now about how those spaces um, interact with the human body, although you never have human bodies in your work. So is the human body yeah. the viewer in this sense? Like, are you imagining? Basically, yeah. Okay, so you never portray the human figure in your work, right? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, the reason why I don't do that is because I want the human subject to almost place themselves in my work. So they are my subject to say, or at least their experience of the work is the subject. So for me, the whole point of me not doing that, aside from placing them within the work, is also that the 
work that I create is very deep personal because when you think about a space that is lack of everything, it is also lack of any human touch, if I can put it that way. And so it's a space that could essentially be very intimidating, but also very peaceful, but depends how a person views that kind of space. And so that's why I don't have any human subjects or portray any human subjects in my work because the subject is, the the person is my subject. (laughs) The viewer, you mean? The viewer, yeah, the viewer, yeah. Tell us about your drawing and your printmaking practice, these kind of very geometric shapes with such precision and such control. Can you talk about those? And what are those geometric shapes that you draw? Okay, so um, I was reading about, I was doing some research when I was in varsity and basically I came across this architect named Etienne Louis Violet. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right because he's a French, yeah, French architect. And I was really inspired by his work. And I find it a bit kind of strange that I was inspired by his work um, because, you know, he's an architect and I'm looking at essentially an idea of a building. But I found there's a lot of links to his work for me in terms of the ideas and also the installation ideas that I wanted to create at some point. So there was a particular structure of his that he designed that I really fell in love with. It's called the Cenotaph for Newton. And I found this structure, this design very beautiful because not just from an aesthetic point of view, but I also felt that he was trying to convey the idea of encountering the sublime or at least encountering the abyss in a physical space. And I, in the sketch, looked at that and thought, wow, he was able to do that. And just in a, in a visual sense, where do I come in with this? And so I started to create my own little, I guess you can say my own sketch of my own cenotaph. <laughs> and I did this first on paper and then I translated it through printmaking. And at the time, I wasn't a fan of printmaking because I thought I was done with it, but I kind of started to fall in love with it all over again. (laughs) And that's when I started to create these structures. So for me, my geometrical shapes, at first they feel like objects, but then they also start to feel like actual structures. And then they feel like structures that could potentially become alive. And I love that idea of something that is static that essentially could almost pull you in or have like you know like have a huge effect on you because it's almost like this depersonal thing that somehow you know is imposing itself upon you and I found that very interesting as an idea also I like through reading a lot of uh, Etienne Louis Brule's, um diary entries and how he was fascinated with creating something that was so empty and dehuman and how that would actually affect the human subject. And I took it from that point of, from his point of view, to create my own little structures that were also dehuman, but also, you know, they have their almost, they almost have their own life within them. Mm. Yeah. And how do your, um, your sculptural and installation works relate to your drawings? And do you always do drawings of your installations before you start? Or how do they relate to each other? I always do the drawings first (laughs) and then I'm like, gee, this would look interesting as an installation. (laughs) So that's usually how that starts or gee, this would look interesting as a sculpture. And then that's how that would, that would translate into a sculpture or installation work. Sometimes it's um, ideas like they change within one another often. 
So there'll be times when I'll maybe do a uh, installation or a video, if anything, and then decide, wow, this video would actually look interesting as a as a printmaking piece. So I work with in different mediums. I don't limit myself because I do feel that, you know, I guess you can say my sense of the void can be represented in my own way in different mediums. I, I shouldn't be limiting myself. And so that's why I play with different, whichever one feels right, I'll play with different mediums. So mm. I'm just interested in, in this concept of the void, given the context we're in now and like this space of like the unknown and not knowing and uncertainty. I don't know, does it relate in any way to you? What, what is your definition of the void? So for me, look, I always say to people that your definition of what the void actually is, is it's definitely it's subjective because what your definition is might not necessarily be mine. But for me, I always, especially given this context, I view the void as a space that is looking from the outside in. It's intimidating, it's scary, it's uncertain, it's unknown. And it almost seems to be a space that you could fall into forever and ever. But once you're in that space, there's a sense of peace, there's a sense of tranquility and or curiosity, if anything. You know, you're in a space and you don't know what's going to happen. And you're basically just falling through this unknown abyss that just is continuing infinitely. But within that, you almost tend to find yourself within that space, or at least you feel the need to find yourself within that space as a way of kind of gaining uh, some understanding of what's happening around you. Mm. So. I love that because it makes me think of the work that you did, Ovoid, which you made in 2013, but you exhibited, I think, did you make that at university, that, that large? Yes, I yeah. made it in university. Okay. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then you exhibited it um, in 2018 at that uh, the pop-up assemblage exhibition space. Yeah. It was at the mm -hmm. old Kalashnikov gallery space in Bramfontein in that like darkened side room. And basically it's this big black oval cutout. Well, it's a big black oval board with mm. LED lighting behind mm -mm. it. And it was in a completely dark space. And it was such an incredible experience to see. Like it was so meditative and experiential and all-encompassing. It's one of my most favorite works of yours. But it, I like what you just said in explaining the void about this finding this sense of peace. Because originally when I started asking the question, the void seemed like a scary place. But when I experienced that work, it was there was nothing scary about it. It was very peaceful. It was very mm. meditative. Mm. Yeah. I think also for me as a subject, because... I read somewhere that, you know, the void is diff like, obviously it's different for everyone else, but the main objective of what discovering or trying to find out or figure out what the void means to you, you have to figure out what it means to you first. And I remember when we were setting up for that show, you were there to help me. And <laughs> there was a small little storage on the side. And then you said, um, Grace, do you think you can go further in? And I said, um, okay, I'm gonna try. And that space was completely dark, right? And you asked me, like, are you afraid of the dark? And I'm like, kind of. And, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so interesting. <laughs> so for me, it's, you know, uh, I created that work. And the funny thing is with that work is I never had a, a space for it. It just so happens that our wood workshop technician at the time, Ben Lawful Yoon, had this amazing idea of, hey, I think I know where you can place 
this big sculpture of yours. I have an idea of where you could actually place it. And it just so happens that it was in the basement of the art house building at Vids. And it is completely, uh, anyone who knows that part of uh, Vids, it is dark, it is scary, it is, oof, it is just so scary down there. <laughs> and for me, I just, you know, it was a very scary, it is very scary place for me to be in because obviously I'm facing one of my fears which is the dark right but it was an interesting process for me because here I am working with this concept and working with this sculpture that obviously needs me to face what it is that I'm afraid of but yet once the sculpture is up and it's it's lit I have the sense of peace in that space I mean there were multiple times I went down there just to be on my own and just to be in some like a silent box, if I can put it that way, you know, it was, it was very interesting because for me, like the void does kind of seem very scary. It does, it represents the things that I'm afraid of, which is the dark and this, the unknown, you know, anything that's unknown for us human beings is scary because it means we don't have control over it. Right. But when we're in that space and we find a way to gain at least control of ourselves, accepting that we don't have control of what's happening around us, that's when we tend to find peace as human subjects. And that's when I found my peace within that space, in that dark box with this oval that was now lit up. And that's when I found it, what, what I found interesting. And that, I think that's also what really sparked my, my interest in my research was that how we all have different ways of engaging with the idea of what the void actually means and what it is to all of us. But it seems that as human subjects, we will always find a way to try and uh, navigate our way through this unknown space. And whether that means we find a space that is peaceful or one that is completely intimidating, you just want to leave the room and, and walk away from it, that's going to be different from person to person. So I can't, I have no control over that. And I'm fine with that, you know, but that's something that I need to, that's something that sparked my curiosity and asked me to why is this? Why is someone reacting to this space this way and another person reacting it this way? And that's kind of for me what, what uh, really like drives my creativity as well as my research and my practice. And tell me a bit more about your video work. So I don't have a DSLR camera, but I have like a Canon camera. And so I've kind of been taking little videos here and there without actually realizing it, right? And so the other day we had a load shedding, I know, right? Load shedding during lockdown, but we had load shedding <laughs> in our street, but it was only for like a few minutes. And so my camera was sitting right next to me on my pedestal. So I picked it up and I went through my videos and I was like, wow, this is actually interesting. I should go back to video. Yeah, <laughs> like, your what, video works. What, what do I? Your video work <laughs> I is should good. go right to this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's definitely <laughs> the situation right now. I need to get back to that. <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, you should even put the works online, the ones that you mm. produced at university. They're, they're really beautiful. And there's something interesting about them in that they, they're actually much more organic than mm. your, I mean, they're speaking of the same things and they're still trying to emulate structures, but there's something more organic in their structures, in the structures of your videos, mm. which I, I think mm. is quite interesting. So with the videos, I wasn't sure as a student, how to go about, um, you know, filming the void. Like that sounds so <laughs> abstract. <laughs> but for me, what I started doing is I kind of started to break down again, what does the void mean to me exactly? And I thought, okay, so perhaps it's 
the lack of light, but then also it could essentially be too much light, so much light that you can't actually see any boundaries and, or it could be this unknown space, you know? And so that's what I started to do. I started to basically use light to film light in such a way that it almost gives you a sense that you're now in this unknown space that I have kind of set up, but it's, you know, it's not real. And gives you the sense of now you're in this actual space that you, that gives you a sense of um, peace, but also it almost seems intimidating to actually engage with the videos. So yeah, that's pre pretty much where I started with that. I kind of stopped because I, I think I was at a point where I wasn't sure of myself and of my videos, but I do think I'm going to go back to it at some point, like very soon actually, because those videos on my camera were very good. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, that's something that you can be doing at home while you are in lockdown yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Most of the most of the videos that I did, I did them at all at home. Um, I just used whatever objects that were that I could find that were interesting, and I basically filmed light. And I filmed light doing weird things that not weird things, things that I knew why the light was acting the way it was doing. But I found them very interesting and in how this could actually create another sense of a different space or another kind of another kind of void in other words yeah you've been in the art world out of university for five years now and you always stood out to me <laughs> um as, <laughs> as someone i don't know there's you you just incredibly disciplined and hardworking and focused and being an artist i can tell it's just something that you want so so badly and I've always respected and admired that about you. And I see a lot of big things ahead of you. Thank but you. I wanted to know what was the moment for you that you realized, like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. And like, I'm actually, I'm in the game. <laughs> People are noticing mm. me. I'm getting group shows. Was there one moment for you that tipped the scale? No, I think it was a leading up of moments, actually. I think for me, more than anything, I'm really blessed to have a, an amazing support structure. And I think it starts there for most artists. If you don't have that, it makes the challenge a lot harder. Not impossible, but just a lot harder because you have to find motivation within yourself. And for me, I had other people to motivate me even when I wasn't feeling so sure of myself. So it definitely started there for me. I kind of knew for many years that I wanted to be an artist, but I wasn't sure what kind of artist. I just knew I wanted to be an artist. And even when I was a student, hell, even when I was in high school, I was like, I know I'm going to be an artist. Like, it's just, it's done. I'm going to do this and yeah, and we're going to have fun, you know? <laughs> and when I was in varsity, it was the same story. I'm like, man, I'm going to have fun as an artist. This is the kind of things I'm going to do. And still, even then, I might have not been 100% sure of what that journey was going to look like or what kind of artist I would actually end up being. But I knew I was going to be an artist because I had pretty much told myself, this is going to this is going to be us and we're going to enjoy it. And it's going to be a fruitful journey. And then when I started doing shows, I was like, OK, we're doing shows now. That's nice. <laughs> Let's do a couple more and and then more. And then and so things just kind of you know i started doing more shows and a lot of people got started to notice my work and i'm very blessed for that and for me it's just already been an amazing journey i mean i've been doing it for five years after varsity and i haven't looked back 
you know, I've enjoyed every, even the bad points at some point, I still enjoyed that. And I always see them as part of the journey and not something separate, you know? So, yeah. Well, what keeps you motivated to keep going? <sighs> there's, there's quite a few actually. So as I mentioned before, I set a support structure. So my family is a huge support structure because they believe in me. Even at times when I may have had doubts about my own career, they even believed in me. So that's definitely one of the biggest things that kept me going. But the other biggest things that kept me going is just really wanting to see my ideas come to fruition, like really wanting and pushing to see how my ideas would actually become actual objects and what this would actually mean for other people and how other people would interact with these objects or artworks and what it would mean for them. That's the other thing. But also, I think for me, more, more than anything, and, I, and I'm sure all artists can relate when I say this, is that we are creating not just because we want to or because it's fun, but because we want to leave a piece of ourselves behind. And I think for me, that's like the biggest motivation for me is I want to leave a piece of myself behind. You know, when I die eventually, I want my, my works to resonate a piece of me, to still be around and almost speak my name when I'm not, you know, when I'm no longer on this earth. So they're definitely huge things that have motivated me and have kept me motivated from then on after, after varsity, before varsity, up until this point. And it's probably going to keep me going for as long as I, as long as I can. Yeah. <laughs> And what are some of the challenges that you face as an emerging artist? Well, most, I mean, all artists who are, have started at some point will, will tell you that money is the first thing that's like the biggest challenge. That has definitely been, for me, that's something that has been a, not a roadblock or anything like that. It's, it has kind of slowed my process in terms of like maybe wanting to produce a certain body of work or a kind of work that you know would take a lot of money and kind of puts a damper on you because you're like, I don't really have that much in my account or I have fees that I owe, bills that I have to pay. So I won't be able to do this kind of idea right now. Maybe I can do something smaller or whatever. So definitely money has been for me the biggest challenge. And also if I'm really being honest, I think emerging artists also tend to, if they're anything like me, you have a sense of you want to do as much as you can as a way of building yourself up. And by doing that, you end up getting burnt out very easily. So for me, burnout <laughs> is another thing that's been a challenge for me and learning how to manage my time also, you know, how to manage your, your personal life and as well as your artist life, because at the end of the day, you're still a human being and you still have to have a life outside of your art and so managing those two for me have always oh my gosh they've always been <laughs> a pain in the backside like always so those are two of my stresses that I've always kind of had to deal with. In terms of your successes you went on a residency last year in Italy and 2019 um, can you tell me about that experience how did that come about? So how they came about was I uh, met a gentleman named Jake Aikman and his partner, business partner, uh, Francesco Ozola. And we basically started to work together towards producing some artworks, ideally for um, either for the satellite gallery in Cape Town and then potentially for the Art Fair, the Latitudes Art Fair 
And then after the art fair, they had an open call out to do a residency program, which I applied for. Myself and another South African artist got selected to be two of the six artists that would be traveling to Cape Town, Spain, and then Italy. So yeah, that's how that oh, came Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So there was mm-hmm. Spain and, it's, and Cape Town included. Yeah. How, lo- yeah, how long yeah, was that for? Italy. It was about a month and a half. And how yeah. was that experience? I had a lot of fun. My gosh. Like, so one of the biggest moments for me, I always kind of, I'm still shook and pinching myself to this day. I'm not even joking. <laughs> when I was in fourth year, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. When I was in fourth year, I was, so when you're a fourth year student at, I'm not sure if this works with other universities, but I know at my university, we had to do a research paper in your final year. And I did a lot of research on like actual architectural spaces that kind of had these concepts and themes that kind of spoke to the idea of the sublime, right? And one of them was the Pantheon. And guess what I saw when I was in Italy? (laughs) I saw the Pantheon. I was like, I cannot believe I'm seeing it live. (laughs) I never thought I would uh, actually get to see the Pantheon ever, to be honest. (laughs) So for me, that was like, oh my gosh, like everything's coming full circle, you know, like my research paper and being here and meeting these artists and working with these amazing people who have so much interest and knowledge within the art industry, things are coming full circle. So, wow, I'm, I felt really, really, so that was, I have to say this, that was my biggest moment and I'm definitely going back to Italy just for that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, Grace, that sounds like it was an incredible experience and I'm sure you have many more incredible opportunities ahead of you and I thank you so much for your time today and it's been a pleasure talking to you and um, thank you thank you so much Anthea for having me thank you for the interview and thanks for everyone for listening thank you so much to Grace and to you the listeners for joining me today please follow Unframed Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe on Apple Music where you can also rate and review us as it will help us to get more followers. Share this episode with your networks and encourage them to follow Unframed too. Thanks so much. See you next time. Bye.